Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. And they divided them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished the drink, Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I'm going to watch a a short video. Um, I've been absolutely blessed um, in my life and have been... um, got great parents, been brought up in a, a faith-filled family home and um, I became a Christian when I was eight um, and uh, got married when I was 22 and um, have a, a lovely boy who's nearly two and um, have a, a house and, and a great job and um, all these things and, and, and I really know how much, um, I know how much God loves me and I've been really taught how to love him and um, and, and all of that's great, and, and, and some, some sometimes feels quite quite ordinary. But um, 
not, not that many people really know, but that I've battled with um, anxiety and, and panic attacks from about the age of 15, and they kind of came out of the blue, and they've really challenged, challenged my faith, um, challenged um, my relationship with God, and um, uh, in a nutshell, it was really around just not wanting people to notice that I wasn't normal, or that I couldn't cope, or um, that I was weak, just didn't want people to, to know that. Um, and you know, words in my journals were um, fear, desperation, um, tiredness, I'm exhausted. Um, and uh, I literally uh, brought to my knees in desperation um, in privately and publicly um, through it. So it's been quite a, cha- it's been quite a challenge um, to me. Um, but God, uh, uh, one particular picture that he showed me in my journey um, through this with him is um, of me on my knees in, in desperation, um, as I just said, and um, Jesus uh, is in front of me on the cross, um, with an, uh, up on the cross being crucified, um, and uh, very vividly he, he rips his hands from the cross um, and, and picks me up. Um, and even remembering it now is just, it's, it's, it's very powerful. And, um, and at the time it just made me, it, it was the kind of, oh, God's always with me. God, but actually that was a real vivid picture of um, he's actually there right beside me and he wants to pick me up um, from, from what I'm going through. And, and so um, from then on I've, I've had such a, um, a, a renewed hope really, in, in, in knowing Jesus is with me through weakness, um, rather than I'm here wanting to pray for miraculous healing and waiting for Jesus to turn up. Um, it, it's actually an ongoing healing, and it's something that I still, um, I still have now, and I still, still work through, and I've got amazing friends, and um, had great uh, professional help too, but actually just knowing that God um, loves me and is for me, um, and is there in my weakness, um, has been hugely influential in, in my life. I don't know if you, um, if you saw or read um, David Cameron's Easter message today. Try not to say anything political here. Um, but... Um, let me just read, it was, a long, it was a long message that he wrote for, for Easter, and he concludes, he says some things about his faith, and, um, but he concludes with, with these words, um, I hope everyone can share in the belief of trying to lift people up rather than count people out. These values and principles are not the exclusive preserve of one faith or religion, they're something I hope everyone in our country believes. And and he's been talking a lot. There's some noble things in what he says. But he says this, that after all is the heart of the Christian message. It's the principle around which the Easter celebration is built. Easter is all about remembering the importance of change, responsibility, and doing the right thing for the good of our children. And today that message matters more than ever. And, And there's nothing wrong in what he says, but, but really? You know, when, when you sing the songs that we've sung and when you listen to the readings that we've read and when you experience the things that we've experienced and when you listen to stories on the screen, is that, is that really all that it is? It's about change and responsibility and doing the right thing. 
Because if, if it is, we may as well go home. Jesus says one word that is perhaps the most important word ever spoken. The Savior of the world says one word in the Greek. He says the word tetelestai, which translated in our language means it is finished or it is accomplished. So the picture is this. Jesus is hanging on a cross and he receives a drink from a sponge from the hyssop plant, which is a really important plant in Israel's history and it symbolized um, purification and salvation. And then as he receives the, the drink, he speaks and then he dies. And what he says is, it is finished, it's done, it's sorted, it's a verb. It's a verb in the perfect tense, and that's significant because it means that it's an action completed in the past, but it has results continuing into the present. So Jesus says, it's finished in the past, it's still finished in the present, and it will be finished in the future. It's done, it's being done, and it will be done. And it's a weird word. It's a word that you and I wouldn't hang around on street corners saying to one another. Um, But it is a word that back in the day people would have understood. Jesus wasn't speaking mumbo-jumbo from the cross. People have understood what what he was saying. A servant would say to his master, tetelestai, I did it, it's done. And the master would say, well done. A priest would say to people bringing sacrifices, tetelestai, it's acceptable, it's an acceptable sacrifice. A merchant would, when a debt was paid in full, would stamp the receipt and it would probably say, Tetelestai, it's done, it's finished. It's done with. And even an artist would step back from a picture and do the thumb thing, (laughs) whatever that means, and go, excellent work, Tetelestai, it's done. And Jesus is saying, I've completed the picture, I've paid the debt, it's the perfect sacrifice. It's well done, Tetelestai. But what? What's the big deal? Well, he's saying that the scripture has been fulfilled. He's saying that everything that he came to fulfill has been fulfilled. He's saying that everything that he embodies is now done on the cross. And it's staggering. We haven't got time. But, but it's staggering to look at the amount of scriptures that are spoken of regarding the Messiah, regarding the person of God, the Savior of God, and what he would do that get fulfilled in the cross. Psalm 22, they divided his clothes amongst them. They cast lots. They don't break his legs. Zechariah 12, 10, they will look on the one they have pierced. Isaiah 50, why is that so important? so important because it says God is in charge of this thing. This isn't some random act done by a brutal regime. God's in charge of this thing. But the word of God doesn't fail that what God has said he will do, he will continue to do. And that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That he's the promised one of God. The scripture is fulfilled and the sacrifice is completed. You see, this, this book is rammed full of promises of sacrifice, of, of, of foretelling of sacrifice. It starts in the garden. It, it, it rolls through the story of Abraham and Isaac. A substitute is offered. The, 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 the account of the Passover heralds it. A spotless lamb is killed. 
The blood provides protection from death. The legal system enshrines it. It's a complex system. Different animals, different festivals. But the work is never done. But God had planned something better. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he points at Jesus, he's the one. He's the one. He's going to sort it out. And Satan is defeated. I find it fascinating that John describes the place where Jesus was crucified as Golgotha, the place of the skull. And and I think it's God's eloquent way of saying, I wish to deal with the problem of death at the place of the skull. It's finished. It's accomplished. The, The unhindered reign of Satan is finished. It's done. He's beaten. And salvation is secured. The the other scripture writers tell us that in that moment when Jesus cries, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that divided the holy of holies from the ordinary people. The place where only one person in his most perfect state one day in the year could venture suddenly became accessible for everybody because it's finished and it's done. The writer of the Hebrews says this. Let me read it to you in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. He sat down. Because Tetelus died. It is done. Everything that was necessary for my salvation, everything that was necessary for my healing, everything that was necessary for my life, for my restoration, done. In the cross and in the resurrection, done that's why we call it good friday or good good friday as it's now called for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. He sat down. And we, well, we stand up. We stand up so that other people might experience that forgiveness and that restoration and that joy and that healing. We finished the task. How do you do that? Well, surely you do it in the same way that he did it. You die. 
Jesus said in John chapter 12, when he was teaching just before this huge uh, climactic event, he says, I'll tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces several seeds. If you're going to fully live, you've got to die. And if other people are going to fully live, you've got to die. And if the life of God is fully to be born in you and live in you, there's parts of you that have to die because that's the way of the cross. That's what Jesus says. What needs to die for you to live? I don't know. Anything that's incompatible with him? And anything that's incompatible with his person, his purposes, his character, his style, his compassion, his grace. Surely that needs to go. And what needs to die? What needs to die is your sense of rights and entitlement and I deserve and I should have because surely he didn't stand on his rights. And surely your rights look nothing like grace. What needs to die your judgment and your jealousy and my opinion and what needs to die for you to live? Any view of yourself that is less than his view of you. What needs to die? Any fear of life and love and what needs to die? Anything of self. For resurrection to happen, there needs to be death. I wonder what would it take for me to be able to stand back at the end of my time and say with confidence, tetelestai. It's done. It's done. I did it. I accomplished what I was supposed to do. And you know, here's the thing. I, I... I know I, in and of myself I can't do that I can't live that I can't be it and that's why he came and that's why he sends his power and that's why he gives his love so I don't I don't want to rubbish David Cameron or any other politician who wants to write about Easter and make a political statement, but but one word changes everything. One concept changes everything. This is Easter. The body of Jesus broken for me that scripture might be fulfilled, that Satan might be defeated, that salvation might be secured for you and for me and for everyone else. The blood of Jesus was poured out, shed, so that I might be forgiven and you might be forgiven, so that we might have a relationship with the Father that we were created to be in relationship with, that we might participate in his life. This is Easter. Let's pray, shall we?
And as we come uh, to the table, as we come as, as broken people, as we come as people needing forgiveness and needing to offer forgiveness, let's come as confident people that it's done. It's not something that needs done, it's done. And we just have to reach out our hand and take hold of what is already available. But as we come to the table, why don't we come asking the Lord, what, what needs to die that I might live? And what needs to die that other people might live? Because we're an Easter people. And the cross is our way. And the resurrection is our truth. And Jesus is our life. What needs to die? Jesus was um, in a room with his friends. I think it may have been a bit smaller than this room. It may have been a little less formal as well. No microphones and spotlights. I imagine that his disciples, his friends, were kind of reclining on the floor because that's what they did. And the bread would have been flatter. But it's the same idea. And he just broke the bread, as he would normally have done, and passed it round his friends, and said to them, this is my body for you. And he broke the bread. And I'm really not sure that they fully understood. In fact, reading the New Testament, I'm pretty sure they didn't fully understand. And they ate. And they participated. And they probably whispered to each other and said, what's he talking about? And then in the same way, after supper, he, he took the cup and he passed it around and it certainly wouldn't have been as shiny as this. But he said to them, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And they knew about covenants because they were a covenant people. And, um, but the covenants that they had participated in were always covenants of transaction. You know, you did certain things, God did certain things, and you could never live up to certain things that you were supposed to live up to. And, and, and God would usually forgive you, but it was kind of touch and go at times. And that was the covenant thing. And Jesus says, there's a new covenant. There's a covenant in my blood. It's a once and for all covenant. It's a tetelestai. It's done covenant. Of course, he hadn't said that yet, so they didn't get it yet. But it was for the forgiveness of sins. And then he instituted this supper, and he said, he said whenever you, you meet, whenever you think of me, whenever you celebrate and worship, do this, because this is the heart of the deal. My body was broken so that you might be whole. My blood was poured out so that you might be forgiven, because we're supposed to walk together together. 
in this world. And so we're going to eat and we're going to drink and we're going to die again. We're going to experience in Christ his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we're going to do it as family. Let me just pray for us and then we'll, we're going to take bread and we're going to pass it round. We're not going to come up, we're just going to pass it round. And as you pass it to one another, why don't you, if, if you feel able to do that, why don't you just bless one another as you do so? Bless one another by saying, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus poured out for you. If you want to pray for one another, do that as well. But let's just be family uh, as we eat and as we drink. Father, we just um, thank you for this. We thank you for these elements that remind us. And we ask that as we eat, we would know that we participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Father, would you center again in us this story, this truth, this reality? And would we know that it's done? And would we live to see it completed? We ask this in Jesus' name.